Hello, and welcome to the African American Hour. I'm Rosemarie Anque, bringing you readings from the following publications The Voice, Blavity News, The Root, The Griot, News One, and Andscape. Today we'll begin our reading from an article titled A War on Black Voters by The Voice staff. October 27th, 2022. Right before our last national elections in 2020, thousands of black voters in Detroit got a call from someone posing as a woman named Tamika Taylor. She warned them that if they voted, the government would collect their personal information and come after them for credit card debt, outstanding warrants, even forced vaccinations. The calls were a voter suppression scam, and the two white guys behind it were prosecuted. But we'll never know how many people were nervous enough to avoid voting that year. The far right is waging a war on black voters, and disinformation is among its favorite weapons. Another one is passing laws to make it harder for black citizens to vote. The Brennan Center, B-R-E-N-N-A-N, at at NYU, keeps track of these efforts. The legal scholars there report that since 2020, lawmakers in 49 states have introduced more than 400 bills that would make it harder to vote. This midterm election is the first nationwide election since that massive voter suppression campaign started. And we have one way to fight it, massive voter mobilization. Getting our friends and neighbors to vote so that we can have a say in issues that affect our daily lives is calling for all of us. I am fortunate to lead an organization that will make black male voters the focus of our get out the vote efforts this year. Our initiative, Defend the Black Vote, will reach out to black men in 15 states who were registered but skipped two out of three of the last elections. Our focus will be men because they still don't vote in the high percentages black women do. Our message will be simple. Vote this November. Vote because everything that is on the line in these elections, jobs, reproductive rights, mass incarceration, who sits on our courts, education for our kids, health care, pollution in the environment where our families live. Vote because we need to ban the box. Vote because Black lives matter. Vote because you have a dream of entrepreneurship. Vote because the white supremacists don't want you to and are doing everything they can to stop you. And that tells you how important it is. I know that some folks don't vote because they believe their vote doesn't matter. History shows that it does. The best example I can think of is what happened in Georgia in 2020, the first year we ran our Defend the Black Vote campaign. I know that some folks don't vote because they believe their vote doesn't matter. History shows that it does. The best example I can think of is what happened in Georgia in 2020, the first year we ran our Defend the Black Vote campaign. 
We motivated over 200,000 additional black men in Georgia to vote that year, a year when the presidential election in the state was decided by 12,000 votes. The black men who voted in Georgia made a historic difference and the numbers prove it. So vote because we refuse to be intimidated. So vote because we refuse to be intimidated because those who went before us put their lives on the line to cast a ballot. And if you're a man who doesn't have a plan to vote or you have a father, brother, uncle, or son who doesn't have a plan, it's not too late to make one now. We need you. This article was written by Ben Jealous, J-E-A-L-O-U-S. Ben Jealous was president and CEO of the NAACP 2008 to 2013 and is currently a social impact investor with Kapoor Capital, K-A-P-O-R. The Voice, October 27th, 2022. The next article is also from The Voice and is titled KC Tenants Launches New Group Designed to Build Political Power. Written by Jacob Martin, October 27th, 2022. KC Tenants held a rally to announce the launch of KC Tenants Power, a sister organization to the nonprofit Tenant Union. At the October 8th rally in Illus Davis Park, ILUS, attended by nearly 200 people, members of the organization spoke to the crowd about the role of KC Tenants and the new organization. KC Tenants Power will operate as an extension of the tenant union and will focus on education of tenant rights and on building political power. Currently, KC Tenants is a 501c3 nonprofit which prohibits the organization from supporting or endorsing public officials or candidates. KC Tenants Power has formed as a 501c4 nonprofit to allow the sister organization to engage in political activity. It's a very common practice that a 501c3 will form a sister organization that is a different type of legal entity that allows them more latitude to get involved with politics, said Tara Rakhuvier, R-A-G-H-U-V-E-E-R, a leader with the KC Tenants during a recent interview. The new KC Tenants Power is already organizing to support a $50 million bond measure to help fund more affordable housing. The 501c4 group will be canvassing with plans to knock on the doors of 25,000 Kansas City residents to raise awareness of the vote. When we win, let's be clear, that was the people who secured those funds, and it should be the people who decide how they're spent, said Denise Brown, a member of KC Tenants, who spoke at the rally about the organization's planned canvassing efforts. KC Tenants Power will hold listing sessions around the city on issues impacting housing and will endorse candidates 
in the next spring's municipal elections. High on their goal will be getting more candidates in elected positions who support their agenda. Janae Manley, a member of KC Tenants, said the organization will focus on issues that have gone unaddressed by the policymakers in Kansas City. Tenants in Kansas City have been organizing for the last three years, and it has been clear that there's a ceiling on what we can build if people in office don't have a vision for Kansas City that includes us, Manley said. So the goal with KC Tenants Power is to build governing power. In August, under the leadership of Mayor Quinton Lucas, the city council voted to ease affordable housing in the city, which drew stark criticism from members of the tenant union. KC Tenants was instrumental in drafting and advocating for a tenant's bill of rights in 2019, the first in the history of the city, and the tenant's right to counsel that provides legal counsel to anyone facing eviction. The tenant's right to counsel got off the ground in June and has seen positive results, with initial reports between June 1st and September 1st showing 75% of the 372 cases resulted in tenants successfully resolving their eviction cases. This article was titled, KC Tenants Launches New Group Designed to Build Political Power by Jacob Martin, The Voice, October 27, 2022. The next article is titled, Twitter Reacts to Meghan Markle Revealing She's 43% Nigerian, written by Evie B. Blavity, October 26, 2022. In the most recent episode of her podcast, Archetypes, Meghan Markle dug deep into her African roots, discovering that she's 43% Nigerian. Markle verified taking a genealogy test several years ago, and on this special episode of her podcast, she publicly shared the news with Nigerian-American actress-writer Ziwe, Z-I-W-E. Ziwe was stunned and excited to learn this revelation. Are you serious? This is huge. Ibo Yoruba, do we know, she asked. Megan shared how important it was for her to learn more about where she really comes from. I'm going to start to dig deeper into all this because anybody that I've told, especially Nigerian women, are like, what? Continued Markle. Nigerians were elated and took their excitement straight to Twitter. One very excited user immediately claimed the Duchess as family. Another person shared that all Nigerians are required to defend Markle through all bullying. Of course, you have the usual hate from racist royalists, as shared by another user. They aren't letting it slide, though. The hate is said to be primarily coming from British media posted another user to Twitter. Markle is loved by many, and this is positive news, despite the folks who may disapprove. Be sure to check out Markle's podcast, Episode 7, and get into the conversation. She also has Issa Rae as a guest, along with Professor Emily 
Bernard. This article is titled, Twitter Reacts to Meghan Markle, Revealing She's 43% Nigerian, by EVB Blavity News, October 26, 2022. The next article is titled, HBO Max's Green Lantern Series, Shifts Focus to John Stewart, written by Stephanie Holland, The Root, October 26, 2022. Way back in October 2019, which feels like it was several lifetimes ago, HBO Max announced it was developing a series based on the popular DC Comics hero, Green Lantern. Though a lot of fans immediately pointed to Jon Stewart as the character they wanted the show to focus on, the studio decided the project would move through time and follow the first Green Lantern, Alan Scott, an 80s Green Lantern, Guy Gardner. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the series is being repackaged to focus on Jon Stewart and will start its development process from scratch. Other than executive producer Greg Berlanti, B-E-R-L-A-N-T-I, Arrow, The Flash, no one attached to the original version will be involved. While the initial budget was estimated to be around $120 million, the new series will reportedly cost much less. In case you don't have the origin of every Green Lantern in the galaxy memorized, Jon Stewart was the secondary lantern to Hal Jordan, protecting Earth when Hal was off-planet on other missions. His intelligence, integrity, and willingness to challenge the authority of other heroes made him a fan favorite. As one of the main characters of the animated series Justice League, he was seen as an equal to Batman and Superman. Fans have been waiting years to get the full-fledged live-action version of Jon Stewart. The article was titled, HBO Max's Green Lantern Series Shifts Focus to Jon Stewart, written by Stephanie Holland, The Root, October 26, 2022. The next article is titled, Five Winter Hobbies That Black People Should Give a Try, written by Bilal G. Morris. B-I-L-A-L, Senior Editor, News 1, October 24th, 2022. Winter is fast approaching. When the days get shorter and the temperature falls below freezing, most of us just want to stay in the house. Who wants to be active during the colder months? It's a struggle, but it's important to find hobbies during the fall and winter seasons to keep you excited about life. Season changes can have serious effects on your mental health. Black people must pay more attention to their mental health, especially during winter months. According to BU Today, an estimated 10 million Americans suffer from what is known as seasonal active disorder, with women four times more likely to be diagnosed than men. The best way to combat the depressing feeling that may come from drastic temperature changes is to find winter hobbies that strengthen the mind, body, and soul. Research suggests 
that staying active during the winter can improve your mental and physical health, as well as improve your work performance on the job. Since the COVID-19 pandemic, many Americans now find themselves working from home, which means they are spending even less time being active during the day. Finding a winter hobby ensures that your body is receiving the activity it needs to stay healthy. Here are a few winter hobbies that would be highly beneficial for our readers. Take this list, try a few, and share your experiences with your friends and family. A hobby a day keeps the sadness away. Number one, join a local gym. Joining a gym is a great way to meet like-minded individuals and stay in shape throughout the winter. When trying to find a gym, focus on the places that offer specialty classes like kickboxing or spin class. Gyms can be expensive, but using coupon sites like Groupon could lead to some great deals on workout classes. Number two, learn yoga. Yoga can be one of the most self-fulfilling hobbies you learn. Yoga therapy can be beneficial to both your mental and physical health. According to some studies, yoga not only improves strength, balance, and flexibility, but also reduces stress and body-wide inflammation. Combating high blood pressure and excess weight can also be achieved through yoga therapy. Indoor garden. Consider building a garden in your apartment. Nature is the world's first wonder drug. Studies have shown that spending time outside with plants can relieve anxiety, lower your blood pressure, and boost your immune system. Doctors in other parts of the world have even prescribed houseplants to their patients who suffer from depression. Bringing plants into your space can immediately help with your overall health. Our bodies were originally programmed to thrive in natural environments. When we are surrounded by lively green life, we tend to be healthier and happier. Read a book a month. Number three. Number four. Read a book a month. Reading is one of the most important hobbies for the human mind. It's scientifically proven that reading helps stimulate and strengthen brain activity. It also helps with your communication skills, your focus, and helps improve your memory. The mind is a muscle that needs strengthening, just like any other muscle. Picking up a book is just like picking up some weights, only your brain is doing the heavy lifting instead of your biceps. Finally, number five, take some online courses. Have you ever wanted to learn how to paint or play a new instrument? Taking an online course this winter could be exactly what you need to meet your goals for the new year. Learning a new skill can open up new doors socially as well as financially. Sites like Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y, and Coursera, C-O-U-R-S-E-R-A, offer quality courses for cheap prices on everything from how to write a novel to how to do landscape photography. Learning a new skill this winter will most certainly lead to more opportunities once the weather begins to warm. This article is titled, Five Winter Hobbies 
that black people should give a try. Written by Bilal G. Morris, News 1, October 24th, 2022. The next article is titled, Michelle Obama launches female empowerment campaign with Amal Clooney, Melinda Gates by the Grio staff, October 26, 2022. Former First Lady Michelle Obama has launched the Get Her There campaign with two prominent stakeholders to empower and educate adolescent girls, People Reports. The campaign is a collaboration of Obama's Girls Opportunity Alliance and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Clooney Foundation for Justice. On Tuesday, Obama joined Melinda French Gates and Amal Clooney in New York City to launch the campaign. The goal of Get Her There, according to Obama.org, is to help adolescent girls around the world achieve their full potential and transform their families, communities, and countries. According to People, the trio spoke during a panel about the goal of the project and noted that millions of girls worldwide are forced to marry before the age of 18, which typically prompts them to drop out of school. Clooney, wife of actor George Clooney, unpacked how girls who are pushed into child marriage fail to reach their full potential. She also noted how many of them could have gone on to cure cancer or lead a country. When we launched the Girls' Opportunity Alliance four years ago today, we knew the key to advancing our work was an alliance of stakeholders coming together to support girls completing their education, said Obama in a statement via Obama.org. We created the Get Her There campaign to inspire everyone to get involved in our work because we know that our entire world benefits when girls are educated and empowered, Obama said in announcing the collaboration, people reported. That's why I'm so grateful that Melinda and Amal, two of the world's most compelling and influential leaders for gender equity, are teaming up with the Girls' Opportunity Alliance to help remove the barriers that stand in the way of every girl getting the opportunity she deserves. Continued Obama. The barriers these girls face are very real, but I couldn't be more hopeful about what's ahead in our work together to support them. During Tuesday's panel discussion, girls from around the world shared stories about how their lives were changed after having the opportunity to access quality education. These girls are showing us where there is, Obama said, noting that the there in Get Her There simply means anywhere a girl can dream. Education made the difference in my life, Obama added. It has given me the tools to envision where there is for me. Through their respective organizations, Obama, Gates, and Clooney will also challenge discriminatory laws through the courts, people reported. The barriers our girls face today are steep and are leaving millions of girls out of school. Our goal is to help clear away all that's standing in the way of girls achieving their dreams. While that's too big of a challenge for any one of us to tackle alone, it's something I know can be accomplished if we all work together, said Obama on Obama.org. Through the Girls' 
Opportunity Alliance, and Obama Foundation Program, more than 4,000 leaders and community-based organizations are working to support adolescent girls worldwide, according to Obama.org. This article is titled, Michelle Obama Launches Female Empowerment Campaign with Amal Clooney, Melinda Gates, written by the GRIO staff, October 26, 2022. The next article is titled, Meet Ejiro Evero, E-J-I-R-O, E-V-E-R-O, the coordinator on the rise running the Broncos elevated defense, written by Jason Reed, R-E-I-D, and Scape, October 27, 2022, Inglewood, Colorado. Speak with Denver Broncos defensive coordinator, Ejiro Evero, for just a few minutes, and a thought comes to mind. This guy is going places. Both razor sharp and personable, Avero commands a room as well as he does a sideline. Eventually, one could envision him impressing the people who hire NFL head coaches. Of course, that's something for further down the road. But perhaps not too much further. At the moment, Avero is occupied. He's one of the Broncos' few bright spots in their otherwise dreary start under rookie head coach Nathaniel Hackett. In his first season as a defensive player, Evero, 41, is leading one of the league's best defenses. After cutting his teeth as a position coach the past five seasons under Los Angeles Rams head coach Sean McVay, Evero joined Hackett, his best friend and college teammate, at the University of California. Davis, in an effort to rebuild the struggling Broncos 2-5. The team has missed the playoffs the past six seasons. If Hackett, who directs the offense, can get things running as smoothly as his buddy has it going on defense, well, the Broncos would be in great shape. The current imbalance, though, is as clear as the view of the Rocky Mountains from the Mile High City. Evero isn't worried. He believes the Broncos' best days are ahead of them, and coming soon. All in on Hackett's vision of the team, Avera has no time for negativity. There are a lot of good things happening, and there's a lot of disappointment happening too, because at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is winning, Avero said recently during a lengthy interview with Anscape at the Broncos' headquarters. But I truly believe in everything that we're doing here, starting with the head coach and what we're going to try and accomplish on offense. And then defensively, we still feel like our best football is ahead of us. As good as things are right now, it's like, hey, we could play a lot better. That's our standard and our expectation. Last season gave up an average of 300, 326.1 yards to rank eighth in the league. With Avero in charge, the Broncos are giving up 286.0 yards and only trail the top-ranked Buffalo Bills 281.5. In an uncommon move for an NFL coordinator, 
Ivera was quick to praise his underlings in detail and was mindful to stress that everything happens as part of Hackett's overall plan. I've just got amazing support from a lot of very talented coaches who've helped build the system together, Avero said. From day one, I told the players that this isn't my defense. This is our defense. It's like me, the assistant coaches, you guys, the players. We're all putting this stuff together, and we need everybody's input. We need everybody's values. We're just trying to make the best product. The Broncos gave up only 260 net yards during a 16-9 loss to the visiting New York Jets in Week 7. Backup quarterback Brent Ripon, who played for injured starter Russell Wilson, summed up the mood in the locker room while speaking to the reporters. When your defense is playing as well as our defense is, you shouldn't be losing games. That's just point-blank, period, a fact. No lies told. Evero is excelling, just as McVeigh expected he would. Incredibly smart, intelligent, great disposition, demeanor, McVeigh said of Evero in an email to Anscape. He knows how to connect with all types of guys, knows how to be able to help them reach their highest potential. He's an absolute stud, least surprised person of how well they've done and how great a job he's doing leading the defense is me. Regardless of how the team fares this season, Evero's standing as an up-and-comer will remain strong as long as the Broncos' defense does. In May, Evero, who is black, was part of the inaugural class of the league's accelerator program. Each of the NFL clubs chose two participants, one assistant coach and one front office staffer for the program, launched at the league's spring meeting in Atlanta, which is intended to accelerate the rise of qualified minority employees in coaching and front office management. Participants attended sessions on subjects tailored to help them continue to grow in their current jobs with an eye toward preparing them to be their strongest when hopefully they enter the hiring pipeline in pursuit of positions as head coaches and general managers. Not surprising, Evero has big goals. Absolutely, I want to become a head coach, he said. But just like when I was a quality control coach, and just like when I was a position coach aspiring to do more things, I know that the best way for me to move up is to kick butt at the job I'm doing at the moment. I've got to focus on this and nothing else, because the only thing that matters right now is finding a way to win for the Broncos. Through that process, if your process is right in terms of being in the moment and being focused, all that other stuff will take care of itself. With the Rams, Evero always stayed on task. After four seasons, as the team's safetyist coach, Evero was put in charge of the entire secondary last season and coordinated the defensive passing game under defense coordinator Raheem Morris. The Rams' secondary was among the team's strength and route to winning the Super Bowl championship. 
Avera, who played safety at the University of California, Davis, has also been a quality control coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Green Bay Packers, and San Francisco 49ers from 2011 to 2015. With the 49ers, Avero filled a number of roles, quality control, offensive assistant, defensive assistant, and helped San Francisco to a Super Bowl appearance in 2012. Morris couldn't be prouder of Avero. He's extremely detailed, serious with his players, eased, compassionate, and coaches with a lot of detail. As far as what the calls could be going through the process with guys. With a lot of detail, as far as what the calls could be going through, the process with the guys, Morris wrote to Anscape in an email. How he presents to his guys is second to none. The things that he's able to do as far as his communication skills, his willingness to bend and adapt around players, some of those things let me know right away how good he was going to be when he received his first opportunity to lead. And nothing makes me feel better than looking out on Sunday and seeing as his units form. How long will Avero be with the Broncos? Well, that remains to be seen. Just like the rest of team's assistant coaches, Avero is committed to helping Hackett right the ship. Clearly, they're not there yet. It would be unwise, however, to assume Avero has made his last stop along the coaching ladder. A quick conversation with the man would prove that. Jason Reed is the senior NFL writer at Anscape, October 27, 2022. Honoring October and Breast Cancer Awareness Month, the next article is titled The State of Breast Cancer Treatment and the Diseases Grasp on Black Women, written by The Voice Staff October 26, 2022. It's not new news. Black women have a lower cancer incidence rate than white women, but are 41% more likely to die from breast cancer. What is news, though, is that breast cancer is now the number one cancer killer of black women. If there's a silver lining in this fact, the shift is due to the decline in the number of lung cancer deaths due in part to the decrease of black female smoking. Still, black women have little to celebrate. The wide disparity in breast cancer death rates between black and white women likely reflects fewer cancers being diagnosed at a local early stage. 57% in black women compared with 67% in white women as well as less access to high-quality treatment. Cancers diagnosed at a later, more advanced stage are typically more complicated to treat. Black women have a lower five-year survival rate overall, and for every stage of diagnosis, about 82% of black women live at least five years after their initial breast cancer diagnosis, compared to 92% of white women. Higher death rates from breast cancer among black women are also likely related to higher prevalence of obesity and other health problems. Black women are statistically more likely to have diabetes, heart disease, and less likely to breastfeed after childbirth. 
all of which are risk factors to breast cancer. Young African-American women. Among women under 50, the disparity is even greater. The morality rate among young black women who have a higher incidence of aggressive cancers is double that of young white women. Those more aggressive cancers include triple negative breast cancer, which is aggressive and challenging to treat. They also have a higher incidence of inflammatory breast cancer, an aggressive but uncommon type of breast cancer. This article is titled, The State of Breast Cancer Treatment and the Disease Gap on Black Women, written by The Voice Staff, October 26, 2022. The next article is also from The Voice, titled Family Resources Available for New and Expectant Wyandotte Mothers, W-Y-A-N-D-O-T-T-E, written by The Voice Staff, October 25th, 2022. In recognition of Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, SIDS, and Safe Sleep Month, Wyandotte County Unified Government released the following list of resources for expecting mothers and for mothers experiencing the lost baby or newborn. The Wyandotte County Fetal and Infant Mortality Reduction, FIMR, Community Action Team, supported by the UG, offer prenatal classes, which include safe sleep education and a maternal and child community health worker who provides one-on-one -on -one education and support to pregnant and postpartum women throughout Wyandotte County. In addition, the Unified Government Health Department provides Healthy Families Wyandotte, a program where pregnant women, caregivers, and parents can learn how to improve their health and their child's health and development. The program is free and eligible for Wyandotte expectants, parents, or caregivers with infants up to three months of age. How the program works. A personalized home visitor will visit participating families during pregnancy and or after the child is born until the child is three years old. The home visitor provides support and education for families by working towards achievements, completing developmental screenings, and working with families on activities like making homemade toys. In addition, the home visitor works with families on safety, nutrition, personal health, safety, high quality care for the child, and other health issues. To learn more about Healthy Families Wyandotte, please call 913-573-8855 for other services provided through the Public Health Department, including prenatal classes and prenatal clinical care. Call the main UGPHD number at 913-573-8855. Safe to Sleep. The National Institutes of Health runs the Safe to Sleep program which provides education and resources to help families and caregivers understand the importance 
of providing a safe sleeping environment for infants to help reduce cases of Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, SIDS. SIDS is the sudden, unexpected death that doesn't have a known cause even after a full investigation of a baby between one month and one year of age. However, providing a safe sleeping environment can lessen the occurrence of SIDS. For more information, go to https semicolon forward slash forward slash safe to sleep dot n-i-c-h-d dot n-i-h dot gov forward slash experiencing loss advent health in shawnee mission kansas provides a support group for individuals who experience loss of a pregnancy infant or toddler the meetings take place on the first and third thursday of every month from 7 to 8 p.m. in the Community Education Room, located at 9100 West 74th Street, Merriam, Kansas. The group also hosts Pregnancy After a Loss, with meetings held on the second and fourth Thursday of each month, 7 to 8 p.m., also held in the Community Education Room. For more information and resources, call 913-632-4223. Alexandra's House, a hospice facility in Kansas City, Missouri, offers grief counseling for those experiencing loss of pregnancy or infant and extensive support services for those in need. For more information, go to www.alexandrahouse.com or by calling the facility at 816-931-2539. This article is titled, Family Resources Available for New and Expectant Wyandotte Mothers, written by The Voice Staff, October 25th, 2022. The next article is titled, Jaleel McLaughlin's Football Success Was Bred from His Struggle, written by Branson Wright, B-R-A-N-S-O-N, and Scape, October 28, 2022. Youngston, Ohio. It's often just a matter of time before Youngston State running back Jaleel McLaughlin makes his presence known. It took longer than usual after his first seven carries netted only 11 yards at the school's homecoming. But with the score tied early in the second quarter against visiting Indiana State, McLaughlin split the line, broke a tackle, and zoomed 68 yards for a touchdown. You have to be disciplined on defense. If not, Jaleel will make you pay, said Youngston coach Doug Phillips. Often after games, opposing coaches will greet me and say, that number eight, McLaughlin, is special. McLaughlin has been cashing in so much yardage in his career that he's ascended to fourth all-time in NCAA rushing yards with 7,641. He's only 154 yards away from third behind Division III, Mount Union's Nate Kimmick, K-M-I-C, 8,074. 
Danny Woodhead, 7,962, of Division II, Chandran State, and Level Coppage, L-E-V-E-L-L-C-O-P-P-A-G-E, 7,795, of Division III, Wisconsin Whitewater. But McLaughlin's journey to college football immortality didn't begin as smoothly as one of his spectacular runs. He overcame homelessness, limited scholarship offers, and continued questions about his ability to become an NFL prospect. I always felt I had something to prove because of our early struggles, McLaughlin said. Those hard times continue to motivate me. The source of McLaughlin's inspiration began when he was in the seventh grade. His mother, Tonya McLaughlin, a single parent, was laid off after 10 years from a factory job in Spring Lake, North Carolina, a small town near the Fort Bragg Army base. Her oldest child, Jamaica, raised her oldest son, Tavon, and she took care of her youngest boys, Jaleel and Jay Sean, J-A-Y-S-H-A-W-N, who is three years older than Jaleel. She was no longer able to afford an apartment, so the three of them lived briefly with different relatives and at a motel. That was tough because the motel was close to my school, McLaughlin remembered. Sometimes I'd come out of the motel, and if I saw school buses going by, I'd duck because I didn't want my classmates seeing where I lived. But times became tougher when circumstances led to Tanya McLaughlin and her two boys living out of her gray four-door Ford Focus for three months. McLaughlin would sleep cramped in the back seat. It was definitely frustrating, McLaughlin said. I'd wonder why we had to go through this. One night, after fighting off bugs, I got out of the car and slammed the door. I started to cry because this wasn't the life that I wanted for us, his mother said. But 10 minutes after slamming the door, he came back and he said he was sorry and for me not to worry. Their circumstances didn't stop their sports participation. Tanya McLaughlin managed to keep her boys involved in track and field, football, and basketball. Being a single mom, I didn't know what else to do with the boys but to keep them busy with sports, she said. We have games every Saturday and go from place to place during the week for practice, said Jayshawn McLaughlin, 24, now a real estate agent in Charlotte, North Carolina. It gave us something to do, and it gave us something positive, because we didn't want to see our mom crying. Playing sports made us want to work hard and not want to live like we were living. McLaughlin had early success as a track athlete, earning regional and state awards before high school. His mother moved to Arkansas later that year for work, and McLaughlin and his brother moved in with their father in Charlotte. Their mother returned two years later, once McLaughlin reached high school, and the family was reunited. Meanwhile, McLaughlin made a name for himself in football. He averaged nearly eight yards per carry as a senior. In basketball, that same year, he led Forest Hills High School to a state title and in the spring, he led the school to its first state track title. He was a member of the state-winning 4x100-meter and 4x200-meter relay teams. 
Sports success didn't lead to many college football scholarship offers. At 5 feet 9 inches and 195 pounds, McLaughlin is still small in stature for a running back. And for the schools that did show interest, mostly Division II, running back wasn't the position they considered him for. They all wanted me to either play safety or corner, McLaughlin said. Right when I was about to commit to the University of Charleston, they called me and said they wanted me to play safety instead of running back. I couldn't do that, so I signed with Notre Dame College, Ohio. Notre Dame College coach Mike Jacobs saw enough on video to recruit McLaughlin. We have a rule. If the first minute of a highlight tape is touchdowns, you have to recruit him, said Jacobs, now head coach at Lenore Rhine University in North Carolina. When we got a chance to see him in person, he was playing basketball. We saw him shut down a D1 prospect. What Jacobs saw on film only guaranteed McLaughlin's position, not when or if he would play. The coaches told me I'd sit behind a few running backs in front of me, McLaughlin said. I came in with a chip on my shoulder, ready to prove that I should play immediately. The road to proving himself began during summer training. Freshmen were required to run only eight wind sprints, and the upperclassmen ran 16. When the coach would blow the whistle for the freshmen to stop after eight sprints, McLaughlin continued. I kept running because I wanted to prove I could play from day one, McLaughlin said. He proved it indeed. McLaughlin ran for 302 yards in his freshman debut and rushed for 340 yards and three touchdowns in just three quarters, four games later. He finished his first season with 2,421 yards and 18 touchdowns setting several Division II records for freshmen, including most yards in a first game and most yards in a first season. McLaughlin finished third in voting for the Harlan Hill Trophy, Division II's version of the Heisman Trophy. McLaughlin picked up where he left off in year two. He finished first in Division II in all-purpose yards, first in running, 2,316, first in touchdowns, 33, and first in scoring, 198 points. He was the first player on any NCAA level to rush for more than 2,000 yards in both freshman and sophomore years. And this time, he was runner-up for the Harlan Hill Trophy. West Liberty, West Virginia, coach Roger Wailei, W-A-I-A-L-A-E, was all too familiar with McLaughlin, who rushed for 598 yards and six touchdowns in two games against his team. He waited two years too late to get into the transfer portal, Wailei half-joked. Things he did in games were incredible. You'd think you got him tackled, and then all of a sudden you don't. I remember a play when Notre Dame snapped the ball over the quarterback's head, he picked up the ball and ran 27 yards. Success at Notre Dame College started to make McLaughlin too comfortable. He needed to challenge himself. 
I wasn't losing sprints. I wasn't worried about my starting spot, McLaughlin said. They didn't even let me practice in the spring. I needed to put myself in a position where I was uncomfortable, so I'd go harder. That's what I needed in my life. Those needs escalated in 2020 when the coronavirus pandemic shut down several Division II programs and put the season for many teams up in the air. Until Notre Dame College decided to play a spring schedule, its fall season was in question. I figured I needed to make a move because I could lose a season. Plus, I wanted to play at the highest level so I could test my ability, McLaughlin said. McLaughlin drew interest from several schools once he entered the transfer portal, including Penn State. Youngston State, which plays in the FCS, made an offer on the first day of the portal, the opportunity to start and remain in Ohio, where he established some relationships, led McLaughlin to sign with the Penguins. The transfer didn't come without criticism. There were times when people came into my Twitter post saying transferring out of Division II was a terrible move, McLaughlin said. I told them, I'll show you. McLaughlin didn't show much in his first two games. He had only 63 yards on 17 carries. McLaughlin said the slow start was partly due to his bout with COVID-19. Once cleared, he had a week and a half to prepare for the season opener. I didn't have that many yards in those first two games, but I knew this is where I needed to be, McLaughlin said. I needed to up my game and work harder. Hard work and full recovery from COVID-19 helped bring McLaughlin to the level of play he was used to. He averaged 127 yards over the next five games of Youngston State's abbreviated season. Despite the slow start, he finished the season with 5.2 yards per carry. Only a preview of what was to come. McLaughlin averaged 6.5 yards per carry, 1,139 yards, the following year, including 242 yards in the season opener. And this year has been more like McLaughlin. He's rushed for more than 200 yards three times and 100 or more yards in every game this season, except for 36 yards on 10 carries at Kentucky. He did have the 64 yard catch against. Wildcats. In seven games, McLaughlin has rushed for 1,063 yards, 7.8 yards per carry, and eight touchdowns. Catching COVID and not starting my career at Youngston State like I did at Notre Dame made me sit down and ask myself, did I really want this, McLaughlin said. As always, I just put my head down and trained harder to prove that I could play on this level. This article is titled, Jaleel McLaughlin's Football Success Was Bred from His Struggle, written by Branson Wright and Scape, October 28, 2022. The last article is taken from Black Enterprise, titled, Former Atlanta Mayor Andrew Young Teams Up with McGraw-Hill for new HBCU scholarship program, written by Atia Jordan, A-T-I-Y-A, Black Enterprise, November 2nd, 2022. Former Atlanta mayor and activist Andrew Young is the face of a new scholarship program for students 
at historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs. The 1951 Howard University graduate teamed up with education giant McGraw-Hill to give HBCU students a chance to pursue an education without the financial burdens of college, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported. Named the Andrew Young HBCU Scholarship Program, this initiative is funded by an initial $50,000 investment thanks to McGraw-Hill Education. Next fall, 10 first-year students who plan to be a part of the HBCU legacy will reap the benefits of financial support and McGraw-Hill's existing civil rights education curriculum. Young, who recalls spending no more than $400 a semester, graduated college debt-free. Today, data indicates that the average cost of college in the United States is $35,550 per student per year, including books, supplies, and daily living expenses. The challenge today is how do you get an education and get a job to help you pay back all that money you borrowed that is going to leave you in debt, said the nation's first black UN ambassador. According to a recent report, HBCU graduates have an average debt of $32,373, which is 19% higher than those at non-HBCUs. Although many Americans are burdened by their student loan debt, borrowers who attended HBCUs have been especially hard hit due to the impacts of systemic racism on wealth accumulation for families and unequal resource distribution among institutions, as stated in Paying for the Grave by the Center for Responsible Lending, CRL. The program was inspired by Matt Daniels, the chair of the Law and Human Rights Division at the Institute of World Politics in Washington, D.C., civil rights. He was instrumental in designing the Civil Rights, a global perspective in which students will delve deeper into the nonviolent social justice principles of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. according to its website. For many students, HBCUs are usually the first ladder out of poverty. This article was titled, Former Atlanta Mayor Andrew Young teams up with McGraw-Hill for new HBCU scholarship program, written by Atia Jordan, Black Enterprise, November 2nd, 2022. That's all the time we have for the African American Hour. My name is Rosemary Onkway. Thanks for joining me.